the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Despite all of Paul's accomplishments, and he had many, in spite of all of them, as what? Well, he led so many people to Christ. He established numerous churches across the Roman Empire. He discipled and he mentored scores of men. He proclaimed inspired truth as an apostle. He opened up the gospel to so many people. He performed frequent miracles. In spite of all of those accomplishments and so much more, Paul was a genuinely humble man. And he was humble, watch this, because he recognized and remembered the truth about himself. What was that? That he was nothing but a sinner saved by grace. A man to whom God had shown his mercy in saving him in spite of the fact that Paul, as an unbelieving Pharisee, hated Jesus and he persecuted Christ's church. That is a word that can be applied to the Apostle Paul's life. Whereas we are encouraged in Scripture to be humble or to walk humbly with our God, the Apostle Paul lived humility. Why is that? Well, as we just heard, he recognized and remembered the truth about himself. He was a sinner saved by grace. He hated the church and persecuted Christians, but God showed mercy on him, and Paul became a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul never forgot where he was when God found him. Now we're going to continue to talk about humility and the importance of that character trait in the life of a shepherd of the flock of God. With today's verse-by-verse program, here is Pastor Steve. Paul says that when it came to his service for Christ, he made sure that he served the Lord with all humility. What does that mean? Well, it means he served with an attitude of a lowliness of mind rather than with an exalted and proud view of himself. Paul was no celebrity. He was a servant. He was a humble servant. In other words, he saw himself as low. He saw himself as weak. He saw himself as needy rather than as important and strong and self-sufficient. Despite all of Paul's accomplishments, and he had many, in spite of all of them, as what? Well, he led so many people to Christ. He established numerous churches across the Roman Empire. He discipled and he mentored scores of men. He proclaimed inspired truth as an apostle. He opened up the gospel to so many people. He performed frequent miracles. In spite of all of those accomplishments and so much more, Paul was a genuinely humble man. And he was humble, watch this, because he recognized and remembered the truth about himself. What was that? That he was nothing but a sinner 
saved by grace. A man to whom God had shown his mercy in saving him in spite of the fact that Paul, as an unbelieving Pharisee, hated Jesus and he persecuted Christ's church. Notice, as we read the New Testament, notice that that so often when Paul describes himself in his letters, notice how his humility is always connected to his recognition of his sinfulness, especially in the way he treated the church. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, we read this. See the humility here and see how Paul ties it in with how he was in terms of his hatred and persecution of the church. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he said, For I am the least of the apostles. We might look at Paul and say, Well, wait, wait a minute, you're the greatest of the apostles. He said, I'm the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. And now he tells us why. Because I persecuted the church of God. Seeing himself low, seeing himself needy, not a superstar, just a lowly servant, because I persecuted the church. I'm such a sinner, he's saying. He said the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 15. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. He said, it's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then notice what he says, among whom I am foremost of all. Listen, if you struggle with pride, and who doesn't? All of us do. Then you have to work at constantly reminding yourself of what you're really like. What you're really like, a rebellious sinner who apart from the grace of God, apart from God's grace and salvation, at our very core before God saved us, what we really were, we were haters of God, haters of Jesus Christ, We hated the holy standards of the word of God. And we would rather have lived for pleasure than live for the Lord. This is the way we were. This is what we are at our core apart from God's grace. And that'll humble you. And that's exactly how you should live. And that's exactly how you should serve the Lord. By constantly reminding yourself of your sinfulness. Not in a way that spiritually paralyzes you. Not in a way that says, oh, I'm so bad I can't do anything, but no. But in a way that simply recognizes the truth about yourself and as a result produces humility in you. That's how Paul operated. That's how we're to operate. This is especially true for those who are leaders in the church. See, pastors in particular are very vulnerable to pride because they're in a position where they are over people, they have authority, they're influential, they make decisions that affect the lives of many, and they're generally admired by the people of their congregation, and their teaching often invites compliments that can turn their heads and make them think more highly of themselves than they should. Concerning the danger of letting a compliment go to a pastor's head, James Montgomery Boyce said these words. He said, humility is important, of course, because the opposite of humility is pride, and pride is a great danger for those who are in prominent positions of church leadership. 
It's a danger for anyone, but it is particularly dangerous for those who stand up and talk, at least if they are effective doing it, because people will always come up afterwards to say, no doubt, meaning well, that was a wonderful message, or I was greatly blessed by that. He said the situation is dangerous because the minister can come to believe that he is indeed rather wonderful. After all, he's been a source of of such great blessing to so many people. He may forget that any blessing that comes is from the Lord. Boyce goes on to say that George Whitfield, the great 18th century evangelist, who, I might add, in his day, at least in the land of the United Kingdom, and at that time, the American colonies, in his day, he was, and this is no exaggeration, he was the most well-known man in the world, at least the world of Great Britain and the world of the colonies. George Whitfield, as popular and as well-known as he was, he had a way of dealing with compliments that could easily lead to pride. When after preaching to thousands, and he preached outdoors, by the way, thousands upon thousands heard him. If someone approached Whitfield to tell them how wonderful his sermon was, he would reply, I know it. The devil told me that just as I was stepping down from the pulpit. So that's the way elders, our pastors, that's how you deal with it. Recognize that. Listen, whenever you think that you're so important and you're better than others, remember who you really are. Who you really are. Strip away everything else and you're a sinner who deserves hell but who has been saved by God's mercy and has been given gifts and abilities to serve Christ so that you can take no credit for it yourself. Paul said to the Corinthians, what do you have that you, that you did not receive? The answer is absolutely nothing. You received everything, so there's no room for pride. This is how Paul says that he served the Lord with all humility. And that's exactly, folks, what ought to characterize our service, regardless of what sphere that is. There's something else that Paul says characterized the way he served the Lord. Looking again then at verse 19, notice that he says that he served the Lord not only with humility, he says with tears. And what does he mean by this? Well, he certainly doesn't mean that he was an overly emotional person who was prone to weeping whenever he was upset. He's not saying that at all. What he does mean by his tears is that he was a man of great compassion, a man of great sympathy, a man of great empathy. In other words, he cared about people so much And he felt so deeply about their spiritual well-being that at times it literally brought him to tears. For example, he told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2.4. I remember the Corinthians were a tough church. Paul's heart broke a lot for them. He poured out his life to them, did not receive the same kind of love back. So he writes in what we call his second letter, he said, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you, and I take it that means his first letter, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. We don't have the original manuscript of any of the New Testament letters, but it would appear that the original manuscript of what we call 1 Corinthians would have had tears on it. Tears from Paul. He said, I wrote to you with many tears. Paul's heart was so grieved over the sin, the many sins of the Corinthians, that it caused him to cry for them because he loved them. That's what he's telling them there. Additionally, he wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 3.18, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul 
was so heartbroken over false teachers who were a threat to these Philippian believers because of their opposition to salvation by grace, it just made him weep. It made him weep to think the impact that it might have on his beloved Philippians. See, Paul's concern for the spiritual welfare of others, that's what brought him to tears because he cared so deeply for their souls. That's precisely what he's telling the Ephesian elders here in Acts 20, that during the time he was with them, he wept over them because he cared about them. Notice just a few verses ahead. Notice what he will say to them in verses 29 through 31. He said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, note this, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul knew that after his departure, the church at Ephesus would be infiltrated with false teachers who would do great harm, great damage to the people. But even during the three years, he said that he was with them. He recognized the potential for believers to depart from the truth and to follow false teaching and follow false teachers. And so he constantly was warning them night and day for three years, he says, with tears, warning them to follow the Lord, follow his word. He cried for them because he loved these people. He wanted only what was best for them. And what was best for them was to be in a healthy relationship with the Lord Jesus. See, Paul wasn't a detached scholar who coldly dispensed truth. He had a warm heart for people. He not only instructed them, he prayed for them. And he wept for them. Listen, in whatever sphere of ministry God has placed you, you need to love your people enough to weep for them. Even if your tears are only on the inside, you need to care so much about their spiritual welfare that when that welfare is threatened, it ought to grieve you. It ought to cause you great sadness. It ought to cause you internal pain. Jesus, we read in the Word, was a man of sorrows whose love for others moved him to tears. This is why we read, for example, in Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 41, that when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept. He wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come, he's talking about the destruction coming of Jerusalem, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, And surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Meaning you didn't recognize that this was the time that your Messiah visited you. And ultimately there will be judgment because the city of Jerusalem will be destroyed. So our Lord wept. He lamented over Jerusalem because he knew the judgment was coming upon the city, upon the nation of Israel for their rejection of him. And he wept. So I ask you, when was the last time that you wept over someone's soul? Even could be an unbeliever in need of salvation. Have you, have you wept over them? It was said that D.L. Moody, the evangelist, was the only man who really could preach, qualified to preach about hell, because when he preached about hell, he cried. Because he realized how real it is, that people are really going there. So I ask you, when was the last time you, or has there been a time you wept over someone's soul? When was the last time you cried concerning a believer 
who you know they're making an unwise decision. You know that they're not obeying the Lord. You know that there are consequences coming for their sin. Listen, tears characterize Paul's ministry and they should characterize ours as well because we are to genuinely care for others. But in addition to humility, in addition to tears, there's something else that Paul says characterized his service for the Lord, and that is persecution for the sake of the gospel. Notice, as we look again in verse 19, we read this, serving the Lord with, number one, all humility, number two, with tears, and now, he says, and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. And Paul says that his three-year ministry in Ephesus was marked with trials that he endured at the hands of the unsaved Jewish community. Now, what specific trials he was referring to, we're not told. We know that there was hostility directed towards him from the Jewish people when he first arrived in Ephesus and began his ministry in their synagogue. But beyond that, we're not told about any specific persecution in Ephesus directed at Paul from the Jewish people. Now, there were other places that we're very specifically told about Jewish persecution, but none really in Ephesus except what Paul states here. So hostility must have been an ongoing issue because Paul says that for the three years he spent in Ephesus, he experienced persecuting trials from the Jewish people of that city. So the question then that we need to ask is this, how did Paul's trials serve as a model for the Ephesian elders in their service for Christ? Because remember, that's what Paul is doing. He is reminding them of how he lived and how he served the Lord so that they will follow his model and put that into practice. So how did his trials serve that purpose? And the answer is this. It wasn't his trials per se that he's talking about. The trials in and of themselves, that's not the example to follow because after all, you can't manufacture trials. You can't produce those. But what Paul is telling these elders is that he served the Lord, note this, in spite of these trials. In spite of these trials. That is to say, he didn't let persecution disrupt his ministry. He still taught the people with humility and tears, regardless of the hostility that was constantly being directed at him. This is why the very next thing that Paul will tell them in verse 20, which we will look at more closely in detail next week, is this, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Now listen, the words shrink back, they come from a Greek word that means to draw back in fear or to withhold. And so what Paul is saying is that he did not allow persecution to intimidate him so that he drew back in fear and withheld teaching them the truth. He didn't let trials do that. He was steadfast. He was persistent. He was tenacious. Folks, that's exactly the way we should serve the Lord. By allowing, listen, nothing even suffering, even persecution, even a contagious virus, nothing to keep us from aggressively ministering to others. The virus should not stop us. Nothing should stop us. Nothing should stop us from proclaiming the word of God and ministering to others. The Ephesian elders, as we'll see in weeks to come, they were about to enter into a very difficult time in caring for their church. They needed Paul's steadfast example of endurance while suffering 
to motivate them to press on in teaching the truth, regardless of how difficult things would become with false teachers and their errors. Now, these are the things that characterize Paul's service for Christ. Humility, tears, and trials. Lord willing, starting next week, we'll see more of the marks of Paul's service. But foundational to all of this is an understanding that if you are a believer in Christ, then you have become the Lord's slave. And as his slave, you are to obey him out of a desire to please him. And so as we come now to the Lord's Supper, it's important for us to examine our hearts, make sure there's no unrepentant sin. We're not talking about sin. We all have sin. We all struggle with sin. But I'm talking about unrepentant sin. We have no unconfessed sin. No sin that we're holding on to and just refusing to let go of. We know it's wrong, but we're not going to do anything about it. This is the time that we let go. This is the time we examine our hearts. This is the time that we're quiet before the Lord, and I'll give you a few moments on that. But we read in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Praise God, it is for us. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As slaves of Christ, our sole goal must be to please our master. And our master has told us to live in obedience to him. He being a loving master, not a hard taskmaster, a loving master, he's died in our place, paid for our sins. He's cleansed us from our sin. And he commands us now to gather to remember his death by observing his supper. Folks, this is the time to reflect on what Christ, not only what he's done for you, but also to reflect on your life. And in light of the fact that we've talked about humility, this is a time to think about that. Are you humble? Do you seek to be a servant to others? Do you esteem others more important than yourself? Or do you think that you're so wonderful that people should serve you? If so, you need to repent. This is a time we are to think about our tears, if not external, certainly internal. Does it grieve us when we meet people who are unbelievers, they don't care about Christ, it ought to grieve us. Does it grieve you when there are people you know who say they know Christ, but they disregard his word? It ought to grieve you. If not, this is a time to repent and a time to ask the Lord to give you a heart that grieves as it should. This is a time to examine our hearts to see if trials have got us off course, if this virus has gotten us off course so that we're not serving others, so that we're thinking too much about ourselves, too much about are we going to catch this, too much about what we can't do, what can we do? I guarantee you, if Paul was alive today, he'd be ministering, regardless of a virus going around. So reflect on what we've learned today about Paul, his ministry. Let's join our hearts for prayer. Father, it's so easy for us to think too highly of ourselves, to think that the world revolves around us and that others should serve us and that we are important. And we thank you that you love us, but we're really not that important. You are. 
So help us, Lord, to be humble, to genuinely, not by appearance of humility, but genuine humility, to esteem others more important than ourselves, to see ourselves as your slaves. How can we think too highly of ourselves when we're truly your slaves? You are the one we adore. You are the only one who's perfect and great, and we're simply sinners saved by your grace. Lord, also help us to be grieved over sin, not only our own sin, but the sin of others. Unbelievers, Lord, who disregard you, help us, like D.L. Moody, to weep in our hearts when we think of people going to hell. Help us to weep in our, in our hearts when we see believers making foolish choices in life and disobeying you. And Lord, help us, help us in the midst of trials, whatever those trials might be, to be steadfast, to not have a detour with ministry, to not get self-absorbed that we think only about us. Help us to think about others and to serve others because we're your servants. And we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Word of God is a mirror, and we were able to look into that mirror today. The question is this, what will we do with what we've heard? Will we accept the fact that as Christ followers we are slaves and as such we will seek to walk in humility? I hope so. We invite you to return next time for Verse by Verse. And if you are ever in the Clearwater area, you have an open invitation to worship at Lakeside Community Chapel. For more information, check out lakesidechapel.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.